0: Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is
1: why we exist. To focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit.
0: Because every movie makes us feel something.
1: Hello, listeners, and welcome to a new episode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and here with me to chat about one of my favorite films of the year so far is my best friend and co-host, Patrick. Hey, everybody. I don't have anything witty written down to say this time, but we do want to wish everyone who celebrates a happy 4th of July weekend. May your barbecue grill be full and your fireworks bright and your skin unburned. Let's just get into the movie, shall we? <laughs> Sounds good to me. All right. Well, this is your spoiler warning for everyone other than Patch. Everyone who we know for a fact or don't know for a fact if you've seen the movie or not. Wow, well, I don't know why I'm not just sticking to the, the norm here and going off uh, off script. Listen, if you haven't seen the movie, don't listen to this. It's that simple. That's what a spoiler warning is. I shouldn't even have to elaborate. End of story. We're going to go now. You've been warned. Patrick, <laughs> this, is what ha- this is a Friday night, folks. Just so you know, we're recording on a Friday night, and that is totally, we're like not in our regular flow right now and maybe it won't affect Patrick as much as it's affecting me but uh, yeah a little bit out of the norm well here Patrick so I watched this movie for the first time a few weeks ago this was a Sundance smash hit much like Coda was last year I have seen Cooper Rafe's previous film I don't know if he's made anything before that but he made a movie called Shithouse House. Uh, he is the king of terrible titles. I, I would hope that if he keeps making movies, and I, I love his movies, but I think that someone else needs to, like, take the reins and title his movies. So, Shit House Come on in marketing. Yeah. Shithouse is about, like, some college kids going through re- relationship drama in a dorm. Like, it makes no real sense, and it, it's kind of like – it's oddly off-putting to a subsection of people – for no reason that it doesn't need to be, right? So, anyway, I've seen that film. I liked it. Saw this film, absolutely fell in love with it, uh, believed the hype right away, and told you about it and said, Listen, this is coming out on Apple TV Plus very soon, thankfully. You need to see it. You're going to love it. I would love to talk about it. And so, I want to start without like going into any sort of detail, just kind of high range feeling. Was I correct? Did this hit for you, or am I in for a real bad time in this episode where I'm going to be the only one praising it?
0: (laughs) You are not at all wrong. This movie hit me in every great way possible. I have not felt this way about a movie since Sing Street. And I will tell you that there are movies that I watch on repeat This summer, I am revisiting the Fast and Furious movies because those are summer movies to me. So I have those on in the background while I'm working. But there are certain movies that I will watch, I will finish, and then I will hit restart. Because I want to watch watch it immediately again. I absolutely loved Elvis, and I want to see it eventually when it comes out on VOD. Maybe if I get two and a half hours to kill, I can go back to the theater. Cha-Cha Real Smooth was a movie that I was like, I have to experience this again. The first 12 minutes, Aaron, I don't think I stopped smiling. I mean, it was one of the best openings to a movie at getting us connected to Andrew, his mom, the way he loves, the way he feels, the way he just has emotions. Like It's all emotions with him. And you just fall in love with his character. I think that um, Cooper Rafe, who, I mean, nailing it as a writer, director, and starring, is just he's got this face that you just are like, Yeah, I want to hang out with you for, for these next two hours. And so yeah, it it was absolutely overwhelming how much I enjoyed this. I remember thinking after those first few minutes, please let the rest of the movie do this to me. Please just don't let it drop. Don't let me jinx this by saying this was amazing. And then the rest of it's mediocre. And it didn't start to finish. This is a movie that's like hands down uh, my favorite of the year. Yeah. Just like Coda was kind of in that same boat. Coda was good. Uh, Coda was great, but Coda didn't leave me feeling like, man, I'm ready to revisit this again. I'm ready to bring my wife in because she works with a, a kid with autism. This would, kind of connect with her as well so it it really kind of works for me on multiple levels but first and foremost it's just a great movie well that
1: makes me very happy to hear that i'm super glad i figured this is how you would react to it but you never know it's always a little bit of anxiety when you recommend something that wholeheartedly to someone (laughs) that's important to you because you really don't want them to be let down by it but i know you well enough to yeah expect that yeah you know your comparison to the feeling you got when you first saw string street is a really cool one I mean obviously I was there and so I remember how that went for you and how you were just blown away by it and that's what we love movies for right I mean that's what the podcast is sort of built off of is that idea and every movie is there's no way every movie can do that for you it's just impossible and so it makes it really special when those times roll around and i'm really just super happy you get to have that experience it's sort of a reminder for me it's reminiscent of one of my favorite movies from when i was growing up which is reality bites and oh yeah i kind of have to compare these because in that film, and it's where I fell in love with Ethan Hawke back in the day and a Ryder, Steve Zahn, but it's essentially the same sort of overarching idea of here we have these kids that are just out of college and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. And it's a completely different era, so it's a completely different movie with completely different problems. But I feel like this is kind of a spiritual update of that in some ways minus a really kind of I don't know how to even describe him fully but Ethan Hawke character Troy is uh, he rides his own melt as he says and he's (laughs) a little bit of (laughs) almost an antagonist at times to the movie uh, protagonist and antagonist both and this is I think part of what the joy of this movie is is it stays wholesome the entire way through, there's so many choices that they could, he could have made, Cooper or Rafe, to take this over that line to where you no longer root for him, or you know, I mean, or you no longer root for anybody. You know, he could, he would have created a situation where audiences had to choose allegiances in a sense, and instead, he just keeps it wholesome and it's not unrealistic. I don't think. We'll talk about as we get into the relationships here. More in depth, but anyway, I loved it too. Uh, I kind of want to start with this. So two things about the movie. One, his filmmaking style is very aimless and meandering. This is how Shithouse was as well. There's not a lot of energetic propulsion to his movies. There are scenes that have a little bit of energy to them, but they often have like abrupt endings, you know, almost even in the bar mitzvahs in this film. You know, you'll have some cool dance music going in the background to a scene, and then it just kind of stops and the drama continues. I think that Cooper likes showing us these realistic moments in life, and that's how I view it, is they are not over-dramatized in a way that is exaggerated and beefed up for cinematic like value. Does that make sense to you? And and did that have any bearing on your enjoyment or, or not for this type of film?
0: No, I, I like the approach. It reminded me a lot of Hearts Beat Loud that we covered several years ago. Oh, yeah. You have essentially this kind of low-key storytelling. Hearts Beat Loud was really built around music as well, so you had those kind of higher energy. But there were a lot of quiet moments in that movie. Same thing for this one. I think that's what builds it so well is that we really do get to spend time with with Andrew. Like he's the guy that we're living life through. We barely. I don't think there's a scene where he's not in. Like he's not part of that. And um, and I think that's important because I believe what Cooper's trying to do is set us up to walk through this journey with him. And I was reminded of this late in the movie, Aaron. That he was 22, and that sounds really obvious when you watch the movie. Like, yeah, he's 22. He's just out of college. But I kind of forget that because of his relationship with Domino. And so when you have these different scenes where they're sort of abrupt, it's almost as if you're getting sort of a light version of found footage where you've got folks that are just following this guy around. They're kind of seeing him and his different elements over at Meat Stick, which probably would be the second uh, rated title in in this movie. Like I think that was the second choice that he was going to come up with after Josh Real Smooth. That's not bad. that, that would have given there, off a weird vibe. Like Yeah, it's like
1: Mystic Pizza. It's right next to Meat yeah. Stick, which are both within the water park from the way, way back. You know, like yes. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Shared universe. There
0: it is, right there. Let's go. And Adventureland <laughs> okay. is
1: right around the corner.
0: <laughs> ah, there yeah, you got it. You got it.
1: I could do this, yeah.
0: But the but the fact is that kind of style I think allows the audience to live in those moments instead of, it doesn't feel theatrical. It doesn't feel unrealistic. You mentioned earlier that a lot of what we see is stuff that happens and in real life. So it doesn't feel like it's over the top by any means. And those are the types of movies that I personally get into because they make me feel like, yeah, I can connect with that moment. I can connect with him in this in this space. And there were times, honestly, Aaron, where I felt like, man, I wish I acted like that in that moment when I was 22. I wish I could go back to being 22 and have those lived experiences that he did. Not everything, obviously, because some things were, were heartbreaking, but I do remember being heartbroken. I do remember after I graduated from college, it was like, what do I do next? And so I think more than anything, because of that style, that helps capture the essence of this awkward stage of adulthood because you're no longer getting an education per se. I mean, most people who go to college don't get graduate degrees. So after you hit 22, it's like, what's next? And I think that that's what this movie does so well. And his his style accentuates that on a number of occasions throughout each different scene, because that's really kind of how we're living in our mm-hmm. 20s is scene to scene. You know, one yeah. day we're waking up and we're going to work at meat stick. And then that night we're going to hang out the, uh, at a friend's house and maybe make out with some girl for a one night stand. <laughs> I mean, I didn't do that per se, but that's the kind of life that someone in their early to mid twenties is, is living. Mm-hmm. They're just like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Cause I'm not really getting married per se, but I'm not in college anymore. So I've got to kind of lay down some lifestyle and pick yeah. up another, but I don't really know where that is. So yeah, I, I, I love the, the, The way that he approaches it, I think it's really appropriate for the story he's telling.
1: Hmm, Yeah. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 22. Um, Anyway, I uh, Taylor Swift song reference aside, I actually had been (laughs) married twice by the time I was 22, Patrick. So I don't relate at all, and that's why I wanted to get your perspective because you went, you did the traditional life flow. You went to college straight out of high school. You graduated in four years, I believe. I don't think it took you- Barely. I you,
0: barely. Yeah, I needed I 128 yet. credits to graduate or hours to graduate. I got 128 and a half as well, I wait, finished. So
1: Overachieved. Over yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you got out, you, uh, you did your thing, you got out and- mm-hmm. You know, you had this degree in a thing that you thought you were going to use and you've done nothing related to that, that I can remember. Uh, maybe you not did officially. briefly, but yeah, not really. No, not officially. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you help me out with your degree all the time on a personal <laughs> level. <laughs> Since your degree is in psychology, I should tell people what it's in. But no, I mean, like it's really food like that's- marketing.
0: That's what it is. You know, I did. <laughs> I'm glad field. you
1: started to touch on some of those things because I wanted your perspective of this and how it felt, you know, like- coming out of college what was that like for you did you have some of these fears or questions and you know he's got a girlfriend that is going to school overseas that's in barcelona barcelona Barcelona. (laughs) maya her name is even like you know fitting of that she's a fulbright scholar they said so she's obviously incredibly intelligent um, and he is and not. <laughs> he's probably standards. probably not. Yeah, he <laughs> is founding jig conductor. And, and yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> what
0: a name! The names in this movie, man. I just uh, yeah. the names. I don't know. Let me let me help you out there, dude. I can Cooper. I can help. I can totally help you with some of this stuff. Just bring yeah, me. You're good your at branding. And, yeah, yeah. We can. But we yeah, could like so. What kind of those specific things that we see
1: in this? Maybe did you have an experience that was like or? tangential in some way.
0: Yeah, th- so there were parallels for me uh, in in small ways, big ways. After I graduated from college, I actually went back to school to get what's called a post baccalaureate degree. And when I look about look about look about when I look at that part of my life, what I realized is that I was I was afraid to stop going to school. I was afraid because when you're in school for that long, when you have this rhythm of classes and studying, or in my case, classes and pretending to study and hopefully getting through tests without failing. Those types of things, I was living at home with my folks, and for the first, like for the fall semester, I went to a local university and was kind of getting the bug for design. And so I went to back to school for graphic design and English because I, I had minored in English, and so I really wanted to kind of continue to pursue that. And that was fun. I mean, it was great to be in school having stuff to do. I had a part time job as well. So I felt like I was doing something valuable. And then I realized that I was just holding on to comf- comfortability, comfort, I guess that's the word. And so in the spring, I decided to give that up and say, I need to get out of my parents' house. I need to work full time, even if it's a job I don't really care for. And I need to get an apartment. And so that next year was a real turning point for me because I had to get serious. And what that was obviously is different than what it is now, but that meant living on my own, paying my own bills, cooking my own food, and really getting out of that comfort zone. And so one of the interesting scenes that – it's a small moment in the movie, but he's at his second like DJ event or or party pre-party par, pre, starting event. That's what it is. He's a party starter. And he yeah. has that. That water bottle that's got the tape that says vodka, vodka, on it. <laughs> and somebody finds it and they're like, "Are you it's drinking?" So- he's like, no, no, it's just a joke. But you see that early on in the movie when he's at his last little, like frat party before they graduate, and in some ways, I feel like that's me holding on to something that is comfortable, holding on to that kind of uh, past relationship or past uh, security blanket, in the same way that he has that one night stand the sex scene is not awkward it's just kind of short and they're ta- they're talking casually which i think is hilarious and then the next scene is them just talking about reminiscing about a class they took and about a professor they knew that's how i felt i would think back to man i missed that class or i missed that professor and i wouldn't necessarily wish that i went back there but i knew that the can, the part of my life that needed to move forward was the part of my life that I didn't have a clear path for. And I think that in a lot of ways, f- trying things out, like I had probably four jobs in four years in my mid twenties and they were all different things. Like I, I don't even remember what they were, but they were, they were many and they were not related to each other or my degree, by the way. And I'll just tell you this: what nipped it in the bud was that I sucked at the GRE. It's the Graduate uh, Record Exam that I promptly failed. It's though it's one of the exa- It's one of the few exams where you take it and they tell you what your result is like right then. So the bad news just came right there. So I knew that graduate school was not for me, and and I learned to kind of reconcile that over the next year. I kind of put myself in a humble situation. I was working in a Uh, a construction supply store in the warehouse, the hot warehouse, moving inventory around. And I'm like thinking, oh, I'm a college graduate. I'm above this. And that year taught me, no, you're not. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) college degrees don't mean anything if you can't use them practically, or if you're not willing to do the work. So part of my early twenties was about realizing that I wasn't, to be honest, hot shit. I was not, you know, being a college graduate was not a guarantee that you're going to have this quote, successful life. And so in a lot of ways, I felt like him. I felt like Andrew, just trying to find my way and, and just trying to understand what do I want? What do I want to do? And that answer doesn't come easy. And I say present tense, it does not come easy because if you're in college and you graduate, there's no roadmap unless you have a wife or a girlfriend that you're going to get married. That's a path it may not be the path for everybody. It certainly wasn't for me. But there are lots more questions after you graduate, especially college, because you're expected to do these things. You're expected to either get married and or get a job uh, and make something of yourself. And the reality is, Aaron, I think the movie speaks to this. And I believe Domino said this in one of her com- late conversations with with Andrew. She said, I want you to experience your 20s. I want you to live your 20s. And that's what I would say with anybody in their 20s. Live it. unapologetically, just. Try stuff within reason. I mean, let's not do anything illegal if you can help it. But the fact is, I feel like because our lives are planned out traditionally by education, we kind of feel like that has to continue. Like, oh, what's the next part of the plan? Well, there is none. 22, you get no map and you're just exploring at this point. And that's actually not a bad thing. I learned a lot about myself. I learned what I loved. I'm still a big fan of design, even though I don't do it like regularly, I, you know, I do, you know, I do promotions for the show. I have other side projects that allow me to kind of exercise that. I see the world through a design lens, a user experience lens. And so those things influenced me, then they weren't related directly to a formal education. So I love the fact that this movie absolutely encourages exploring your twenties, actually living, yeah, experiencing it and, and having that adventure. And that definitely was me in my 20s, for sure. Well,
1: that's awesome stuff,
0: man. Yeah, I it
1: is, it's so foreign to me just because I didn't have all of that. I was in the military and married, and so it was a much different life <laughs> that I had. And I had a short period between marriages where I was off the rails trying to cram a lifetime or a full college experience plus the after part all into this short two year period, things that I'd missed, but it wasn't ever like this. And so I always hear people talk about their college experiences and they remember back to these things they did in the dorms and things they would do on weeknights and events and the people they met and all these things. And I just didn't have that. And so I watch these movies and it's almost like it's transportive to me. It's almost like fantasy in a way, because it's, I'm, imagining myself and what it might have been like for me. And so in comparison to like a type of movie where I would relate more to it. Now I definitely relate to certain feelings in this movie. Like, I don't know, being obsessed with Dakota Johnson. That's a pretty easy one to relate to. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) there's, you know, kidding aside, I think I have definitely had experiences with people that were, like this, somewhat in emotional ways. Specifically, his relationship with his friend Macy, and you know, you mentioned just this idea of like neither one of us is fulfilled in the moment in a relationship, and we both probably have other people that we really want to be with, and those things are not happening, and so we're just gonna kind of force some sort of romantic connection between the the two of us, and some some sort of intimacy between the two of us to try and just feel something like to, to make up for that. And that's, I've definitely been in that position before. And I thought that was a really important scene for his character, but also again, with kind of the wholesomeness of it. Like I I like how it is realistic and they don't beat around the bush that they just, they, they weren't into it. Like they had sex, but they clearly were not into it and they got done. And like you said, they just sat around and talked. And I think even there's a line in there where, he even suggests something. He's like, do you want to do this again? And they're both like, no, not at all. Like never. <laughs> and and I just, I love that. Right. And so I, I've, I've experienced stuff like that, even though it wasn't necessarily right out of college. I think those are, there are things about this that are age specific as well, not necessarily related to how you got to that age. So I want to go through and kind of just poke your brain a little bit about some of these relationships and what stood out to you about them. So let's talk about David. And that's his brother. And he has a pretty adorable relationship with his brother for the most part. And that's another thing that I don't know. I I don't know that I've seen. They don't have a huge amount of screen time together. He's not a, a big, big part of the story. But He's an important part of the story, largely through Andrew's giving him advice about kissing and what he needs to do with relation to getting a girl, right? Which is a very common thing. So again, I'm going to throw this to you because I didn't have a brother, a big brother. You did. Is there anything about this that you relate to with regards to like how big brother's And and a relationship work.
0: (laughs) Interestingly enough, there was nothing growing up that I connected with with this relationship. But it was after I got out of college, (laughs) since we're talking about our 20s, my brother and I um, were four years apart. And I jokingly say, because he took a little while longer to get through college than I did. He started out at a local university in Northwest Arkansas, not U of A, uh, I guess it's Northeast Arkansas it's Lyon college in uh batesville you know up, up north anyway before he and defected before he de- <laughs> before he defected right he actually followed his then girlfriend to the uh the mighty state of louisiana where he became an lsu tiger and proceeded to spend the next 7 years sort of trudging his way through college uh just taking minimal classes joining a fraternity i on the other hand my four years of high school, went to a local Baptist university and promptly just be, you know, stayed in the Baptist bubble for the next four years. And it wasn't until I graduated, I walked in May and still had a paper to finish in order to get my degree to pass a class. Like I was, that's all that was required. And so I spent part of the summer just sort of finishing that up. The day that I got my diploma in the mail, it was three o'clock in the afternoon he walked and graduated and got his diploma at one o'clock that day, same time zone. So he jokingly says he got his degree before me, rightly so, as a four you know brother who's four years older than me. And I said, "Yep, just a shade under a decade, right?" So the 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 Tommy Boy reference came out, but it wasn't until after we after I graduated, after he graduated, it was actually a relationship where we were in pretty toxic relationships with girls, uh, in our, both at the same time. And both of our relationships sort of blew up. And that was one of the first times that he kind of reached out to me and said, Hey man, if you need to talk, feel free to do that. We've never had and continue to kind of have kind of a loosely close relationship. We're closer now than we were because of some other stuff that has come up in our lives as adults. But to this relationship specifically, this is kind of foreign to me because I never knew my brother to be someone who advocated for me, someone who was in my corner when it came to these types of things. And I think that's what's appealing about um Andrew's relationship with David is that he's an advocate. He absolutely is like, dude, you're the bomb dot com, and I want to make sure that you get everything that you deserve. And so when he has that moment of being just a jackass and tells uh tells David, You're you're just annoying. You're not you're not an a-hole or something. I forget what he calls him. But man, that just broke me. And I knew that there was gonna be reconciliation. I love that he says, I'm sorry, I I acted that way. I was having a really bad 24 hours. He goes, It's okay. I said, No, it's not okay, but I'm still sorry. And love the reconciliation. And there, there are pockets of those moments where David says after Domino leaves him, essentially, he said, if you want to talk, I'm here. Um, I wish I had that relationship with my brother. I mean, I wish we had that kind of connection. I don't know how far apart they are. I'm guessing it's like 10 years, you know, eight years, because I think he's still in junior high. So um, I won't say it's unrealistic, but it was not relatable to me. But it was very, very much a kind of a wish list kind of relationship that I think could exist and probably does exist, just not for me. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, it makes sense,
1: totally. Again, I'm an only child, so that's sort of a completely foreign concept to me and one that I just know about through movies, for the most part. And well, and do my kids, seeing them grow up, of course, they're only like 18 months apart, so they don't have anywhere near the difference in age that these two characters do. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful relationship. I think it feels natural to me that a brother this much older than another would be kind of trying to help him out with relationship advice. I love that David is trying to give relationship advice. Sorry. Andrew is giving relationship advice to David while completely failing on his own and floundering in his life kind of in, in regards to his own relationship status. And yet we get to a point where he fully admits that. And he, in the end of the movie, he's like, dude, I don't have anything else to tell you. I was making it all up. I don't know what's going on. And I I think in all of the relationships in this movie, that's probably maybe one through line that is the most, Touching thing to me is like when there's moments of this. There's always honesty that comes out from the characters. Not that they're straight up lying, but they're living in a way that they know is not quite honest. And then yeah,
0: yeah. Go ahead. Well, i was sorry. I was just going to say that I think and Andrew just personifies that. I think three times in the movie he lies and immediately retracts his lie. He'll tell. He does. Domino. Yeah. yeah. I think my dad had autism and he didn't. I don't know why I said that. And then when he's, he's, no, it's in the interview when he's going for the job. Yeah. Yeah.
1: He's like, I know a, I know a ASL or or whatever it was. He calls it ASL, but it's ASL. And the guy's like, that's sign language. (laughs) Anyway, but yeah, no, I know what you're saying. He's like, I don't know why I said that. Like, that's not true, but it's almost, and I really appreciated that because, I've felt that way before. But anyway, back to the relationship with David. Eventually, he comes clean with him. And like you said, there's that really heartbreaking scene where he's hurting. And what do we know is true in all of life? Hurt people hurt people. It's that simple. And so he lashes out and he's like, just shut up. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to help you right now. And they're reconciling, which is uh, very sweet and beautiful, especially that it comes after part, part of it comes after the big kind of ending sequence where Greg, the stepdad, knocks somebody out and they're kind of like Would sharing this joy over that. Yeah. <laughs> and they're both like, you're a badass. But anyway, he says to David, or Andrew says to, to David, he said, or he, yeah he says David I want to be friends forever okay and I I think that's where that reconciliation is just absolutely beautiful and David says back I think I'm a little heartbroken I'm gonna miss you and it's Mm, just yeah I mean it's just so tender and so sweet and so raw and so emotionally honest I think that's the key to this whole movie is it's emotionally honest it doesn't pull on the dramatic heartstrings where it it kind of overdoes all of these situations and makes things really big and bombastic. It just trusts that real life is dramatic enough and right. you're going to react to that because
0: you can relate to these feelings in these situations. Yeah. Some of the things that I was picking up, especially from Cooper Ray's performance is he has these nonverbal cues that are really, really interesting uh his his smile is very distinct like his teeth come out really big like he's like oh yeah I like this like, i'm really happy but i noticed that and i'm going to it's going to sound inappropriate but it's not in in a gentle way the way he puts his hands on people like the way in which he rubs Lola's back the way in which when um i noticed this specifically when david mentioned that he was he got his first kiss you can see Andrew kind of put his hand on his shoulder, like this kind of, there's this like physical affection that he has for people, where he feels a connection to them. And this is his way of actually expressing that. And it's not uh, inappropriate. That's the thing is it feels completely appropriate for what he's doing. He doesn't try to go in and touch somebody or hug somebody inappropriately, or, you know, whatever. He is very much like, that's his way of showing Empathy and showing connectivity is by you know placing his hand gently on someone's shoulder, and I think it's I think it's fantastic. There were so many times where I think you mentioned it earlier, the movie could have gone into just a dark place, like he could have gone on a bender, or he could have you know, he could have seen some domestic violence happening, or he could have just wailed on his brother. We never get that. It doesn't have to go there, and I think there's this sense of uh, not really reverence, but there's a sense of just like, okay, just be gentle, be gentle with this story, be gentle with these characters, but don't be, don't hold back the emotion. And it's like, there's just enough of all that here that we feel like, yes, I can be a part of the story and I can hurt with you and I can have joy with you. I can dance at these dance parties. And at the same time, I don't have to feel like I'm just to fly on the wall. I feel like I'm part of all this. Like I'm at at the dinner table with that initial conversation where he's talking to, to Greg and kind of giving him pushback, which I thought that dialogue between those two is just top notch, good writing, just really good writing. But I think the whole movie really accentuates how Andrew as a character wants to care for everybody. Like nobody in this movie feels like an enemy to him. It's just kind of, you get hurt because life is hurtful <laughs> and we get to see that. And with his brother, David, I think having that reconciliation, being able to say, I want to be friends forever, that elevates the relationship because it says we're not just brothers because we share the same blood or we have the same mom. We're we're friends. We really do have this connectivity that that matters and that's important. It's going to last a lifetime. Well said you mentioned Greg. I have him on the
1: list. He probably won't take a long time to think about, but, or talk about, but what did you think about that relationship? Did you feel like Andrew was justified in the way that he treated Greg in the beginning of the film and that it was something Greg needed to kind of earn redemption from Not redemption from, but he needed to earn the trust and love of Andrew, obviously because he's a stepdad. Or did you, ever feel the opposite. And I'll tell you, I felt the opposite. So I, I largely thought this was the one place where Andrew was showing, for the most part, his childish nature and his inability to grow up and let go of a thing that probably hurt him as a kid a lot more. Right. And And it felt like he was still kind of holding on to that pain of having his parents have split up. I never got the impression, even... When he was lambasting Greg at the table and some sh- other short moments of dialogue between them, like you said, it's all great, but I never f- felt like Greg was out of line. I always felt like he was, for the most part, taking it in a pretty <laughs> respectful man in a better way than I would have, frankly. I would have not put up right. with it largely the way that Greg did for a long time. And so, I don't know, I just wondered how you felt about that relationship.
0: Well, I think Brad Garrett's fantastic. He's just a great actor. I loved him, and everybody loves Raymond. He plays I'm a like, great That's type. right. I knew. I, yeah. I
1: placed the face. I couldn't
0: yeah. place the name yeah. or the actor. Okay. Also voices Eeyore in some of the more recent Winnie the Pooh um, wow. excerpt, like the movies and stuff like that. Just a little okay. trivia for you. Because he's got that voice. You know, whatever. Anyway, but um, no, I, I agree with you, and I think part of that is that it speaks to the fact that Andrew's been gone for four years. Now, I don't know how much he visits his mom, but but clearly there's been some trauma. There's been some things going on. And the moment that really cinched it for me in terms of Greg being kind of the bigger man, not just literally, but metaphorically, is when Andrew is laying on the floor in his brother David's room, which I think is a fantastic visual. Because I'm thinking, Andrew, who are you to speak to your mom's choices, when you're laying in a sleeping bag or a pallet on the floor of your younger brother, you know, do you really have a leg to stand on at that point? And I thought that that was a really uh, smart uh, visual decision on the part of this this team to to shoot it that way. But I think there's that conversation in that room where David actually defends Greg by saying, I think like he's a douchebag, but. Let me finish, but he's good for mom. And I think that's really interesting because you don't have to like the one that your mom, that your parent is in love with, and you have to trust that they are making the right decision for them. And that's echoed again later on with Domino and her relationship with Joseph. And I think that that moment was starting the path where Andrew realized, you know what? I haven't really been connected with this family since I've been away that there are things that have happened and that there are feelings that my mom has that she has not shared with me nor should she because they're her feelings that I need to be able to get over or I need to be able to reconcile with now it helped when she gets decked by that dude and Craig <laughs> comes in and says nope and he pops the crap out of him and then in the car he's like nobody nobody does that to my wife nobody does that to her and I'm like heck yeah that's right nobody. I think that was a big, not just the hit, but what he said in the car was a big respect earner. And um, so, yeah, I think, I think he is a, he's a character that is lovable, but the fact that he can take it, I think means that he's, he's got history. He understands that this dynamic is not going to be easy to, to work through. And now you've got Andrew coming into the picture, you know, he's been away for four years. So the, you know, the situation hasn't been as difficult. Now it's difficult. The way he handled himself, I think, was great. Completely agree. I I love it as well. And I think the movie does a good
1: job, like I said, of allowing me, I felt like it was letting me not root for Greg, but clearly have a little bit of distaste for the way he was being treated, which makes that scene awesome. Which is it's awesome anyway, but it makes it not feel necessary to me. It just makes it kind of amplify what I already believed. So I hope that makes sense. Like I didn't feel he needed to do that to earn someone's, you know, love acceptance is the right word for it. He didn't need to do that. The fact that he does just is an a, a great representation and I felt like that's what Andrew was acknowledging in the moment was that okay maybe I got this wrong it's not just because you did this one thing it's this is indicative of everything you have treated my mom like for all of this time and because he had that conversation with his mom where she's like no this is my choice like this is I I chose him right like I am okay with that and you need to and I think it's He didn't have to have that, but it's a cool bonding moment. That it's like a touch point. Like you'll always remember that one moment, even if you didn't need a specific big event, that makes sense.
0: Right. And and Greg didn't do that for him. Greg did that because he loved his wife. And so I think that's what made it even more impactful, is that Andrew knew that he wasn't like setting him up, that it wasn't like, Mm -hmm. Oh, you set up this whole thing so you could hit this dude to prove to me that you love my mom. No. Yeah. In fact, in the car, this is a really interesting moment. Greg doesn't intervene in the conversation. Like he's trying to actually deter it. He's trying to kind of simmer the waters a little bit. And then at the end, he said, nobody messes with my wife. That's all he says. Like he doesn't amp up the conversation by saying, yeah, you know what? Because that dude had it coming. No, he is stable, even keeled Greg. But he needed to say that. And I think that was kind of the exclamation point for Andrew because he saw how much his mom was loved. And then that line kind of, of course, it made it, it made for a for a humorous ending, great levity. Them saying he was a badass, but I think that it didn't need to be said. I think what was said was shown in that scene right there before where he, he decks the dude. Yeah, I think
1: you're right on that for sure. Well, let's talk about the two big ones here and we'll kind of go into them a little bit together. We have Lola. And so we have Andrew's relationship with Lola as a babysitter and as a friend. And then we have the mom, Domino, who he clearly has a romantic interest in, but it's also treated like a friendship as it progresses throughout the course of their time knowing each other. So let's start kind of, I guess, at the beginning. They're at the bar mitzvah. Andrew meets them. Because he is again just naturally kind of being this charismatic guy who genuinely wants to help people. He's trying to get the kids excited. And so he's he actually goes and he gets other kids to dance first. It's it's really funny when he's like, What do I have to do to get you up there? And the kid's like, play this specific song. He's like, If I can get that song <laughs> so played, you'll you'll go dance. <laughs> right? And yeah. and so he does. And then he's yeah. just going through various young, young people and he eventually gets to Lola and that's how he meets her in Domino. And so it's, it's a beautiful way this kind of evolves for me because he doesn't see Dakota Johnson and go, there's a beautiful older woman that I want to hit on. Let me go find a way to manufacture a way to speak to her. He is legitimately there because of Lola. And that is the most wholesome part of this whole movie is that that relation for me is that that relationship he has with Lola is real. It is nothing to do with Domino and it is completely separated from his kind of parallel feelings that are developing for her mother. He, to me, never wavers in his relationship with Lola and his true desire. He even you know, babysits for her. and I hate calling it babysitting because I guess it's because she has autism that they want to say it that way, but he's he's like a friend just hanging out with her. I mean, yes, he's taking care of her, but the way that that relationship develops, specifically with a couple of scenes, one early on where she is telling him about her pet and she expresses that the one thing that she doesn't want him to touch her Etc. and then towards the end, you see that they've grown closer. We learn that, you know, we learn there at the, the party that Andrew, the, the the money that Domino had promised him to get Lola to dance, Andrew had then re-promised, basically, he would use that money to buy a thing, a special Rubik's Cube for Lola, which is brilliant, by the way, to get her to dance. I love that reveal, but anyway, am getting off my point. Uh, toward the end, there's this beautiful moment where Lola just says, I'm ready for bed and I do not mind you scratching my back. And it mm-hmm. is such a simple thing, right? But for someone with autism in Lola's position who, it has taken a lot for someone like Andrew to make her feel comfortable at all times. But he has. Mm-hmm. And so they've continued to grow closer and this is her way of expressing back to him that she feels completely comfortable with him and safe and it's very meaningful and the shot of him doing it man it is one of the many times when I start to cry because it's just it's tremendous right especially when you maybe I cried this time probably because I knew what was coming when he's gonna have to say goodbye and he tells Domino straight up he's like I am gonna miss Lola I don't want to stop seeing her and they're both acknowledging that that's what has to happen but it is such a beautiful, beautiful relationship that is between a twenty-something-year-old guy and an older teenage girl with autism. That is zero sexualization to it, and zero. Um, what's the word? Not malfeasance. Is that a word? That is that a real word? That's pl- like, No, it's platonic. It's yeah. There, yeah. it's just platonic. It's completely. But it's it's out of a true like natural desire just to be pleasant to other people and to care about how other people feel more so than yourself to put other people first and to treat them with respect to treat them as if they are the same as you even if she has autism he never he never acts like she is different or she is lesser than in any way he goes out of his way to make sure she feels included and comfortable, and he doesn't call her out or make make her make it a big deal. And I, I just think it is a great, great relationship, and one that I don't know that we see much of like this in our entertainment industry at all.
0: Yeah, this was probably the most complex relationship to me, even though it was so simple. And part of it is my fault because i need to i needed to by the time we get to the middle of the film i needed to trust that cooper was not going to throw us a like a weird curveball because in my head and maybe this is the jaded movie watcher in me but i would almost expect that he's scratching her back and her mom comes in or joseph comes in and like what are you doing like i kind of expect those kinds of turns and twists and things like that even though it was completely innocent i expected the fact that she had autism to be the thing, the central figure, like, oh, is this going to be about his relationship with her and then everybody else's tertiary? Now, you mentioned that it is a focal point, but her autism is not. And that's what I think is pretty fantastic, where you have the fact that someone living with a disability is not reason to excommunicate them exile them. Excommunicate, is that right? I don't know. We're using weird words tonight. Um yeah. but unless she's Catholic, I, I, I think. <laughs> Catholic and autistic. <laughs> oh man. That's complex right there. Um <clears throat> but when you look at his relationship with her, one of the things that that came to mind for me was just thinking about him as a as a person and his character. I started questioning why. In not her, but why in general is he so this is really never, maybe it's maybe it's explained and I just missed it, but I never really understood why he has this desire to make sure that people feel included. Maybe it's because as a kid, he was rejected and he wasn't going to let that happen. I mean, clearly his role as party starter comes as a result of him just wanting to make sure that people feel important and special and included, starting with his brother. Like, I thought it was just going to be about making his brother feel special, but it wasn't just about him. It was about his friends and about everybody else. And so when I watch his relationship with Lola, I trust it. And I believe that it's real. I just wonder what the underlying, what what the psychological motivation is, because it doesn't feel unrealistic, like I said, but it does feel a little bit odd. I don't know a lot of people who that's what they do, that they are like, yes, invite this person in, you know, bring this person, talk to this person. I've met, I've had a couple of friends that do that occasionally, but he seems like a person who is motivated by selfless reasons. But he's also selfish too. Like it's this weird duality where you see the selfishness come out his selfishness by wanting to be with Domino and misconstruing their relationship. But I think that even that is not really his fault. I think it's because, you know, she's sent him some different signals as well. And, how he loves her, he does love her. It's just misinformed or mistranslated. So I, I just, I'm not asking the question. It's really more rhetorical, but that's kind of a question I have going into my second viewing is I'd like to watch him more and to find out just what is it that's probably motivating him. And if it's not explained, I'd kind of like to build my own theory on why he has this altruism in him. It's not bad. But there has to be a reason, right? So it's it's really it's been it's, it's fun to watch that.
1: Yeah, I would totally agree. And I and it does hold up on second viewing, as I can attest to. So I think I would love to hear your thoughts on that, obviously off the podcast, once you do see it again. Well, the main central relationship kind of that drives everything, if there is a central one, would be, of course, he and Domino. This is sort of a riff on a rom com in a in a way largely because there's so many other kind of things happening and she's also engaged. So they're not truly embarking on a relationship like you would in normal romantic comedy. It's kind of on the periphery there, these feelings and this interest that they have and where all of that is coming from. And we get to see them experience sort of these these big kind of highlight moments that definitely are the kind of things where when you go through a, somewhat of a tragic event with someone or anything really memorable, it tends to kind of imprint that person into that experience that you had and can amplify your feelings for them, I think. That is how I felt about this. So, obviously, Andrew meets them at the bar mitzvah and takes on Lola, and that is a big, big moment for Domino. She's extremely thankful for that. And then, pretty quickly after that, I want to say the next time they're together, in fact, the next party that they're together at, the next bar mitzvah, is the one in which she has the miscarriage, which she doesn't. Tell him right away what's happening. She acts like she's having her period and she has a really hilarious line that is funny until you know what actually happened, where she says, I didn't want to kill Bill all over the place. Um, but you learn later when they get home, she expresses to him what actually happened. And it's like she's trying to get that weight off her chest. And, and this was one of the lines of dialogue that stuck out to me. She says, I feel very comfortable with you. I don't know why, but I do. And that was something that I relate to because I I think everybody can relate to. Really, it's not just me. It's when you feel comfortable with someone, that's when you start to feel like you can tell them the truth. And this was like the, the moment that they start to become friends and that things start to get blurry. And I think it's in this moment that she climbs on top of him and kisses him for the first time as well and you know it's very difficult to blame him for feeling the way he does throughout the film once that happens because no matter what she says Patrick I've had these things happen to me and I am a romantic at heart I am a person who can become obsessed at heart and I have dealt with the situations where I have had someone express some sort of intimate feelings to me in this way but it really wasn't anything for them and it was fleeting and I couldn't let that go because I wanted more of that so badly I wanted to recapture that and so I see that here I see that in Andrew who feels this immediately like he's he's like wow this could be something right and and, I, and it wasn't that to her it was almost like a handshake <laughs> in a sense like she needed to she was relieved of the ability to be able to express that she had this miscarriage that she's terrified to tell her fiance about and he's the outlet for that and so it, it was a real telling moment for me, in their relationship, I guess I'll stop there see what you if you have anything to say about that, but
0: well, when I watch that, I understand it because when you're on um the edge of a traumatic moment, when you are emotionally spent, you make weird decisions I made I mean, let's, I'll just be straight with you. I, when I was, went overseas for a couple of weeks doing some overseas missions, it exhausted me emotionally. And I didn't know what that would do to me. Because of that, when I returned home, I saw a particular relationship in a different light that looking back on it, I should not have because it became an unhealthy relationship as a result of my emotional. Drainness, it was filled up with this thing similar to what he did for her. And this person became like, oh, yeah, like she's amazing. And she was for a period of time. But what I realized long term is that that relationship was unhealthy for both of us. I mean, we weren't in the long term, we were not doing things that were helping one another. And I'm not saying that this is the exact same thing. What I'm saying is that when you deal with something that drains you emotionally, that kind of rips you, and you see someone who's going to be a guiding light to help physically get you home, to problem solve, to keep the embarrassment at an all-time low, which I thought was just a sweet and amazing and hilarious moment when they have these. I didn't realize they were personalized shirts until they did the wide shot. That was amazing. I know. When they walk out
1: in slow motion together, it's great. Yeah
0: it's so good. So when she gets on top of him, I'm thinking, yep, I understand that. I understand that she's now at her most vulnerable. The guy that she is supposed to be giving this to is in Chicago at a deposition. And so as a, as an audience member, I'm kind of rooting for him. I'm like, yes, but he's a 22 year old. And I had to go back and think he's 22 years old. And yes, he's had sex before. And he has a girlfriend, has had a girlfriend, but this is an older woman. Like she's not like fifty or so. I mean, she, but she's she's not twenty five. It's not like they're the same age. And so when she does that and he pushes her away, it's this awkward moment where he he says, "I you know I I want that, just I don't I don't want it now, or I don't want it this way." I don't remember how he says it, but she's like, "It's okay, it's okay." And so for the rest of the movie you're kind of left in that ambiguous place like he is like what do i do with this do i pursue her does she want that and it really kind of helps set up this unconventional unreliable narrator kind of mentality uh, approach between him and her husband or her fiance and i remember thinking man joseph just needs to be hit in the face with a gavel uh making some kind of lawyer joke in my head because as i'm going through here my mind is like he deserves her. Andrew deserves Domino because of what he's doing. When in actuality, no, he doesn't. He's a kid who doesn't know anything. He absolutely thinks he knows what he knows, but he doesn't. And that's exactly how I felt. At 22, I thought I knew everything. And then I realized that I was a blip on a map of a larger map of the universe. And that's how much I knew about the world. And I see that relationship between him and her and how it migrates and matures into something that really does feel adorable and gentle and sincere and just all that good stuff. And so by the time we get to the end where he has to say goodbye, he's not saying goodbye to this potential relationship with her. He's saying goodbye to the relationship that he's built with Lola and with her and that connection that he has with both of them. So when he's sitting in that car in the rain and you see his lip, you know, his mouth quiver because he's crying. And of course, the next scene is the next moment is his brothers in there you know, comforting him. I believed that. And I didn't feel like he was mourning the loss of a relationship with a woman that he was in love with. I felt like he was mourning the loss of an absolutely genuine relationship that he built with this family that he had to say goodbye to, which creates that great moment at the end that six months later, we this whole movie, Aaron, I just want to say this, this whole movie is deceptive in a beautiful way where we think it's going to go one way and it actually goes another. And the very end is just another example of that, where we see him in a suit and he's getting ready to walk into this thing. And the next thing we see is she's got her wedding dress on. I'm like, what? Oh, what Did they get married? What happened? And turns out, no, he's going to a birthday party and she's getting married. And it's okay. He's not, he's not at the wedding because that wouldn't be appropriate. I mean, he is keeping his promise. He is staying away because that's the right thing to do. And for Mm -hmm. us as an audience, we're like, yes, at this point, we've gone through this journey with you. We're not rooting for you to break up that relationship because you deserve her. We're rooting for you to move on with your life, live your 20s. And that's what he's doing. And that's why we can feel like the end of this movie is such a great resolution because everybody gets what they need. Not what they want, but what they need
1: yeah no i agree i agree and i I think it is expertly crafted in that way, and her mis his misinterpretation of her words because she's not being super specific it all plays into that and it it just plays out so naturally to me i mean even the scene where after i think it's I don't remember where it comes. It might be after that moment. I think it might be after the moment where they're talking over Otter Pops, which I think is one of the best scenes in the movie uh, over the kitchen island and they share them and they're, it's very it's intimate in an intelligence and connectivity kind of way. There's no physical touch happening here, but she is telling him about her depression and how she isn't so sure about things and she has a history and she does things that would make her feel better because she doesn't want to, to have this sadness. And I think he takes it as sort of being something about him, about how he is this thing that is making her happy and that she is scared of doing this, going embarking on this relationship with him when in reality she's talking about her fiance and getting married again and all of these things. He misinterprets it and, and there's a great moment where he is going to try and work out. Like he clearly is trying to get himself in shape because he thinks that's what you do. <laughs> and he's it's a complete fail. This is a moment I really related to because he's like, I'm not a push up guy. Ouch. I'm not a sit up guy either. <laughs> and I'm like, Yes. <laughs> so good. But you know, this leads into so many great little moments between them where she finally starts to express things and be completely clear, not honest, but clear with him. And she says, you know, when I'm with you, I feel so alive and I feel so special, but because th- that's because it's all possibility. And she says, giving your heart to somebody is the scariest, most dangerous, most perplexing and that's again she's talking about Joseph she's not talking about giving her heart to him but like that's kind of where he feels at beginning it is right and she's talking through this thing where she's like yes this would be great like we have a connection and it's amazing spending time together but these are it's amazing because like she said of possibility and this ties into the movie's kind of theme I would call it about soulmates and this this conversation that they have where is it Andrew that brings it up I think it's Andrew that brings it up and I feel like it's yeah. something that I would say because it's like you you don't want to believe that you're not soulmates so you you say well there's got to be I believe there's tons of soulmates for everyone is essentially his perspective on this that there are multiple soulmates and He's expressing this to her, basically saying, like, I can be one of your four, right? I can be one of your soulmates. And I wondered what you thought about that whole theme, because it was extremely powerful to me as someone who has been married twice. And honestly, I have always felt this way. I have strongly been against the concept of there's one right person out there for everybody. I think Andrew is correct. And I think... It's another thing about this movie that is so emotionally honest that rom-coms don't understand. Rom-coms, you'll give you the fantasy of the one that is meant for you. Like everything is perfect, and it's all like it's all meant to happen with this one person, right? I've always thought differently, and it, it goes back to a quote that I read in a book by one of my favorite authors, Tim Robbins, in a book called Still Life with Woodpecker. And a line from that book says, we waste so much time looking for the perfect lover instead of creating the perfect love. And I have carried that with me through my life and my experiences and my marriage failures. And I've just come out on the other side of that fully believing that you choose a person and that person chooses you. There's no soulmate to it. You may have attraction. But it is a matter of choice, and it is a matter of effort, and it is a matter of work, and it could be anyone. And so I think that's more in line what it, with what Andrew is trying to say here, is that it doesn't have to just be this one person. And of course, he's saying it because he wants to believe that he could be that person. And she's saying, hold up, <laughs> you're, you're twenty, twenty <laughs> 20, 22. Like, it's a great dream. But the reality of that is not something that is sustainable for me at this point in my life. I've moved past that, and it's a great dream to have. But anyway, I'm, I'm all over the place, but like with this soulmate idea, where do you land on the movie's perspective
0: of it? I'm glad you mentioned the movie's perspective because I have my own like my perspective, and okay, it, it's in a different world entirely. What I would say is, I interpret that. As based on the season of life that you're in, whether it's a particular age, whether it's in a particular um moment um because we're different people that we are at different places in our lives, so the high school version of me is very different than the college version of me, which is very different than the young adult in my twenties, which is very different from the one in my forties, and I'm sure the one in my 60s, is going to look back on the guy in my 40s and say, dude, really? Were you, did you say that? Did you say that on a podcast that you're still doing after 25 years? Like, That's my hope, right? Is that 465 65, retired and doing this podcast and hitting like the four-digit mark. What I think is- Fast when and I Furious think 20, personas. baby. That's right. <laughs> keep fast, <laughs> keep furious. <laughs> Justin Lin's in his wheelchair going, I love these guys. Anyway, I think when we look at- the the idea of soulmates i i think that's what he's talking about because the beginning of the movie we have this kid who is pining for this girl who is older than him i love the way his mom reacts when he says i'm in love she goes oh really with who and he points to the the girl who's not a girl she's a woman and his mom doesn't go you no know, his mom acts like a mom and says this is okay okay And he has the stones to actually go up there and talk to her. She tells him, honestly, that she's flattered. That's the most flattering thing that she's heard and that she's old. And then that leads to that next scene, which just kind of sets you up for the emotional state that you're going to be in for the next hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes. She gets in the back seat. His mom gets in the back seat with them and starts comforting him. I think that was a soulmate for him. You know, for a guy like him, I think that he would call that a soulmate. And so when we think about the loves of our lives or the crushes or the people that we date, the girls that we date, you know, in high school, we're thinking, oh yeah, I never never think about marriage when I'm in high school, but I never think about this person just being who I'm going to be with for a few months. Like I'm not thinking about that in high school. When I'm in college, I'm thinking this could be the one, but I'm not committed to them. And then when I'm in my twenties and thirties and eventually I've settled down, I meet my wife and I say, this is the one. And you know, if if we ever divorced, which is not even something that we we think about. I mean, we've said that before, and we've had hard conversations like that. But I've told her I don't want to. Div- if I divorced, it wouldn't be because I found somebody else or because I knew there was something better. I think that when we talk about soulmates in this movie, we're talking about those moments with men and women, or girls and boys that hits you right in the feels that say this is real, even if it's not. So the lie of our of our growing up is that we feel like everything is true. That's that feels true to us. And I think that's what he's kind of getting at with these multiple soulmates. Is if that's the case, then I absolutely agree because there's no way that a 12-year-old kid's going to have a crush on a girl and be like, "Nah, she's not my soulmate, so I'm not going to go after her." No, he's thinking, Man, "She's attractive and I would like to take her out to a movie and maybe kiss her." <laughs> would you call that a soulmate? No, but you wouldn't oppose that opportunity as well, and I think that's kind of what he's getting at. Interesting. I like it when we have different kind of takes on it somewhat. So,
1: no, it's great stuff, man. I, it's completely logical to me what you're saying. So I wouldn't be surprised either way. It all boils into the beautiful ending, though, of course, where everything is. It comes out. Everything is made real and made true. And Domino is like, listen, <laughs> I really in she what does she say she says something to the effect that she's she talks about holding back a desire to be close and how um that's something that is is hard for her and he wants to be close but she can't she's she's talking about joseph and ultimately she makes that choice and she's like we've got to break things off He goes to the house, and this is another moment that I wanted to get uh, uh, a perspective on here. So you texted me at one point during the film, and you said something to the effect of, man, Joseph, this guy, this jerk, right? And I giggled when I read it (laughs) because you had not gotten to a certain moment in the movie. And it reminded me of my first viewing of the film. And I think it's intentional. And here's my reading of this is up until the final scene we have with Joseph, Andrew sees, we see Joseph through Andrew's eyes. And so Joseph becomes a villain. All we know of Joseph is the things that are told to us through conversations with Domino and it's obviously only the things that Domino is frustrated by. And this is very relatable. When you're talking to someone, you're getting to know them, if they have a significant other or an ex of some kind, they're only going to tell you about the things that are problematic. They're not gonna sit there and have a conversation with you about all of the wonderful things about their romantic partner that they're not with because they're with you, right? That doesn't make sense. And so you have this colored perception. And I believe Andrew has this colored perception that Joseph is always gone. He's neglecting his family. He's such a jerk. Like She's she's struggling to be honest with him. So therefore it must be something that's wrong with him that's causing that and causing her this distress. And so when Joseph comes home and they have been talking and they're essentially having their breakup moment and andrew is like shuffling off to his car like a teenager (laughs) running out of the bedroom window of a girl that the dad like woke up and turned on the light to walk up the stairs that's what it reminds me of and he gets in his car and dude he is like terrified it's a great acting scene where he's like trying to start the car and joseph's like roll down the window and andrew is like oh my god like I'm gonna get like this is not gonna go well. he's gonna beat me up, and he's like, Dude, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and Joseph's like, Knock, knock, roll down the window, Andrew, and the audience, I think, is meant to feel the way that you are in that you did in that first moment too, where you're just like, Man, this guy is an ass like Andrew is just trying to get through this life like he's done nothing really wrong he he's gonna he's trying to break it off, but what happens is Joseph looks at him. And he says, what does he say? Hold on, I got it written down. I wanted to, to go through it. And oh, Andrew, he rolls on the window and Andrew says, I'm really sorry, man. I'm just a dumb kid. And it really is the only moment in the movie where I feel Andrew's infancy to, a, to an extent, where he really breaks down and shows that he is not a fully formed adult at this point in his life. And Joseph says, I know, it's okay thanks for looking out for Lola tonight. And then he says, Andrew, look at me for a second. And dude, it breaks me. Even thinking about it, like it breaks me. And Andrew looks at him and he just says, thank you for looking out for my family. And it is a complete 180. Of your perception of this man at that point. And you realize the whole time that this guy is not a jerk. There is a very valid reason why Domino is so intent on marrying him. And why she she knows in her heart of hearts that he will be good for her and for Lola. And it is just this beautiful, beautiful moment that you expect this movie to have built to this conflict. And there's going to be fireworks and there's not. Instead, there is compassion and understanding. And I guess in a sense, maybe even forgiveness in a way. And so I just think it is a tremendously beautiful moment. And it made me my favorite like, scene in the whole film. In a, in, a, in a film full of scenes that I love, I just really, really latched onto this one. And I thought it was so funny because I got to witness you go through the same thing I went through on my yes. first viewing. <laughs> but I had the foreknowledge this time to be like, just wait for it just wait for it. <laughs> <And> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I, I'm assuming you had this similar journey as I did.
0: Yeah, I, I co-signed that. And this is just a testament to Cooper directing himself as the unreliable narrator that you made a fantastic. I don't know how you do
1: it, man. It's <laughs> that is it's a talent. It's a unique talent to be able to do what he does.
0: It It is. I mean, that's a discussion in and of itself about how you write, direct and star in a way that I mean your your movie cannot be that complicated. I think that's just a rule. And this isn't. This is a very simple movie. It's not very long. I think it's like a what an hour and 42 minutes or something like that. But um you know watching how this plays out that moment is where I realized and was reminded in a in an emotionally heavy way that Andrew's 22 Because again, my romantic comedy eyes look at Andrew and say, you're perfect for Domino. Look at that tender moment with the Otter Pops. Look at the way you are with her daughter. You guys should be married. But then we see scenes like him after he's rubbed Lola's back and he's sitting on the couch and he's thumbing through YouTube or something like that. And he is, I think he's mimicking one of the stand-up comedians, something, you know, something a well, I would do it as a 43-year-old. But it, it feels very childlike, but we don't really interpret it that way. He gets up. Joseph says, where are your shoes? He goes, oh, I took them off. I took my socks off because it was, it was hot. And those awkward moments, because we've only been spending time with, with Andrew, the whole movie, we interpret every moment with Joseph as a nefarious moment. Like, how dare you take your shoes off in my house? How dare you? This is my parents' house I inherited. That's what was going through my head. And I'm like, dude, dude. And so we're we're reading into these moments. Like when he talks about, Joseph talks about how he doesn't want his family to move to Chicago. That's where his business is. And I'm thinking, why not? Are you having an affair? That's probably what you're doing, you jerk. When in actuality, he wants them to have a full life where they're at because that's where they are comfortable that's what we don't see until that moment. And when he says, I understand and it's okay. Thank you for taking care of my family. That ending, the, the, the like punchline of that, and it's just quiet. He goes, do you want me to call an Uber for you? And it's right after that, Aaron, where he drives off. Andrew drives off. He parks in a gas station and he calls his mom. He calls Beautiful. his mom. Beautiful, yeah. He is absolutely, that whole sequence, he is a kid. And I yep. said he's a kid, he's not an adult he he doesn't know what he's doing, and he acknowledged you only it right hear... at the
1: start he's like, yeah. "I'm a kid, man, I'm a dumb kid,
0: yeah, and I think for us, that was a reminder to me that we don't know what the crap we're doing in our twenties, we think we do, but we don't and and i and I think that's why we both connect to that scene in particular because I think it speaks to the whole idea of what the movie's about. It's about how. You get to a point, you get to an age where you think you know everything and you don't. And your 20s are the logical place where you think you should. Like if you're in high school, you're a dumb kid or you're, you think you know everything, but you obviously, you, in the back of your head, you're like, no, I don't because I haven't been to college. I haven't lived apart from my parents. But you hit 22 and you're like, hey, man, I'm out of college. You know, I'm doing it. And I think that scenes like that bring that reality back into focus for us as an audience because it reminds us that no we don't. And so in that moment I saw him as a kid but more importantly I saw I saw Joseph I saw Domino as adults as mom and dad. I didn't see them as equals anymore. And and that's magical to me. I think that's a testament to great writing, great uh scene blocking, great just filmmaking in general. So, yep. you know, Cooper, if you're listening, good job, man. This is awesome. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean and it, and it follows up with like you said the the final conversation he ends up having after this goes down with Domino. He meets her again and they talk about how everything is kind of how their whole relationship. It's like the wrap-up scene, right? And she this is where she says I'm it's hard for me to accept that I'm always going to have been so tangled. And I feel that to me honest a lot of times in my own life. I feel like man, I've had a weird crazy messed up just all over the place type of relationship situation and it's difficult sometimes Mm -hmm. to express and be honest about your feelings and for things of just they go wrong all the time it felt like and ultimately the takeaway is not that there's some big romance to be had this was never a rom-com despite the fun ways that it plays with that formula to kind of make you almost think it's going to be it's not that it's about finding someone who you can rely on when you're in a place of need and when you're hurting and someone that you can feel comfortable with and you can trust and they can help you work through the feelings that you're having and be respectful enough to let you get to the place that you need to get to and not just the place that they want you to be that is beneficial to them and it's it, so it's a beautiful friendship it's a it's a ultimately a friendship story not a rom-com and just a tremendous way of getting there i think
0: yeah for sure man good stuff well that is going to do it for this edition of Feel and film it's been a great conversation um if you're at this point in the podcast, and you have not watched the movie, clearly <laughs> you should be in love with it by now.
1: Uh, but uh, yeah, it's available movie. on Apple TV.
0: <laughs> so uh, we said this for about Coda last year. Drop the five dollars and get access to this, along with all this other great content, specifically from Apple TV Plus. Yes. Uh, we we definitely, I think, apart from HBO Max, I think this is the streaming service that we probably lean into more than anything else with its uh, with its content. So consider this an unofficial plug for Apple TV Plus from us. Like Aaron said, have a great, safe 4th of July. Please don't blow yourselves up. We really need you to support the podcast. And if you're dead, obviously you cannot do that. So do whatever you can to, to celebrate the 4th and to keep yourself safe and fed. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for us. Aaron, thanks for another great conversation. We'll talk soon.
1: Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. very active in both places and would love to chat
0: and if you want to connect with me you can find me at shoeless patch on both facebook and twitter be sure to tag me in any comments so that i'll be notified and not miss you
1: once again thank you for listening we'll be back soon until then stay positive
0: and keep feeling filmed